Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 124 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is electronic health records and Aboriginal peoples. Electronic health records benefit clinical health care by delivering medical information where it's needed, when it's needed. But electronic health records create risks to people when their information is delivered to places it shouldn't go. So when a person's information gets to the wrong places, there's a risk to that person of stigmatization, discrimination, and psychological, physical, and financial abuse. Now, important electronic health record systems are now running in certain Aboriginal communities in Canada. To learn how these communities get the best out of the systems and also about the protections they've implemented, our guests today are Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Horton. Now, first to introduce Dr. Janet Smiley, she's a family physician, public health researcher, and research scientist. She leads an Aboriginal research program at the Center for Research on Inner City Health at St. Michael's Hospital, in partnership with 18 First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities and organizations. She's an associate professor at the Dalalana School of Public Health, University of Toronto, Her research addresses the health inequities that challenge indigenous infants, children, and their families. For her research, she's received a new investigator award in knowledge translation. She's practiced and taught family medicine in various urban and rural Aboriginal communities. She's uh, in part-time clinical practice at seventh generation midwives in Toronto and she's a member of the Métis Nation of Ontario with Métis roots in Saskatchewan. Mabel Horton, our other guest, is a registered nurse with the qualification of Master of Public Administration. She's with the Nishiwa Waya Sikh Cree Nation and I think I'm better saying it the Nelson Cree Nation And since 2002, she's worked with the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. Her work with the Assembly involves partnering with the federal and provincial governments in such areas as eChart, the Regional Telehealth Partnership Table, 
Her work also involves e-health, and she's the e-health coordinator. And her coordinator work focuses on telehealth and Panorama. And Panorama is a communicable disease surveillance system being developed nationally and regionally. And she's previously worked in northern Manitoba and Nunavut as a nurse in an extended role, as a public health nurse with Manitoba Health, as an Aboriginal liaison coordinator for the Burntwood Regional Health Authority, with First Nation political organizations in health policy, on the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs Continuing Care Research and Costing Project, and the Assembly's Patient Wait Times Guarantee Project in which in which St. Elizabeth Healthcare was a partner. So, welcome to the show, Janet and Mabel. Thank you. Thank you, Good. Gordon. Now, Janet, I'm going to start with you first. Please tell us a little bit more about your background and your work. And also, do you or does your family have experience with family caregiving? Sure. Thanks, Gordon. Um I guess one thing that would be important for myself as a Métis woman is the work that I do in healthcare and also in health research is a lot about interfacing different systems. So I think that's part of what we'll speak about today in terms of the electronic medical record in Aboriginal communities. So um, I come to that um, naturally, I guess, because, of course, um, for seven generations as a Métis person, um, my relatives have been interfacing European and First Nations systems. Um, I guess another thing is um, I'm a data geek, um, so um, I suspect Mabel might be a bit of a data geek as well, um, though I'll let her identify herself. Um, so I see both um, the value um, and the dangers um, that data can um, provide us as Indigenous people. Um, trying to um, better the circumstances for ourselves and our communities. Um, for myself, um, I was exposed to family caregiving at a young age, um, and um, that was um, watching my mother um, have a serious uh, illness um, in my late teen years. Um, and then, of course, because I'm a health care provider in my family, I often do hear about um, others health issues and again um, am asked to interface with the healthcare system. Um, so um, I supported my mother-in-law for about five years um, living at home with some complications of diabetes. And then of course in my role as a family doc, um, again uh, very much at that interface between the community and the healthcare system. So that's what I would add to your very kind introduction. Thank you, Janet. Mabel, it's basically the same question. Please tell us more about your background and your work. And do you or does your family have experience with family caregiving? Okay, thanks very much for the intro as well. Yes, I've been nursing for quite a while now, since 71, and mainly in the north with uh, the First Nations peoples and the um, Inuit. So that was uh, about 15 years in that kind of a role, plus I did some public health nursing in an urban uh, city in northern Manitoba, which is which served the uh, First Nations populations up there, and the Métis, too, that were, um, that were around the area there. 
And uh, like you mentioned in my uh, bio there, I've been working now recently with the uh, political and uh, territorial organizations and uh, more on the policy levels, which affects um, quite a bit of interest. This, of course, is the electronic health records. And like uh, Janet said, the, um, we're quite uh, keen on following data, as opposed to me being a techie. <laughs> I'm not a geek for decades, but at least some people help me in the office, so that's no problem. And uh, how we met uh, Janet and I was through the International University of Compolar Health, and uh, in there we, we did start addressing our data and how important that is, that is to our First Nations. And for the um, looking after the family, I did some home care nursing for the WRHA for quite um, for uh, about uh, four months which brought me close to the uh, people from the uh, from home that were that would live in the core area so that was really quite um, revealing to me what kind of services they have and everything else and personally I helped my brother who was looking after my mom she passed on and so did my dad from complications of diabetes um, type 2 which is uh, quite prominent and around with our communities, as you know. And uh, just recently, my sister passed on. She had um, cancer, and uh, we had to look after her. It was very quick. But, yeah, we certainly got exposure to being caregivers in our family, as you know, with First Nations and uh, the Métis as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, back to you, Janet. Please tell us about electronic health records from a physician's perspective. Janet? Yes. So, um... An electronic health record um, from a physician's perspective and perhaps from those who work with physicians, um, for me, could be something that could really enable better care. Um, so I don't know if it's because I'm left-handed or because I'm a doctor or both, but my writing has become worse over time. So just that simple idea that now you're um, typing something in so that people can actually read it um, that can be so important. I started using an electronic health record for prescriptions, um, and I really noticed moving in different practice settings how that can reduce the error, again, from uh, just misinterpretation of handwriting to actually um, the more advanced computer systems that exist today helping to identify drug interactions and um, wrong dosing of medications. Um, it can also help and organize your thinking. So as a family doctor, um, like, and now we work in interdisciplinary teams, um, there may be multiple people who are caring for somebody, so it allows um, communication between the team, and it allows the team to jointly develop the story or the profile um, of the client um, so that everybody's clear on allergies and what the active um, medical problems are and what the prescriptions are. Um, I guess I would say also then from the kind of community health, public health, um, population health uh, perspective, there's an opportunity not only to enhance the care of individuals but also the care of communities. And in Aboriginal health, we're really short on the ground sometimes, policymakers like Mabel, in terms of having that information you need at the tip of your fingers. A lot of times, information isn't of good quality, so there's some potential there as well to provide. Jonathan, I'm just 
I'm just going to stop you there because, unfortunately, we have a tyranny of timing. And I want to give Mabel the opportunity to answer the same question, but we will come back to these issues um, in, a, in the following segment. Sounds good, Gordon. Yeah. So, Mabel, tell us about electronic health records from a nurse's perspective, particularly a specialist nurse like you in public health. Uh, yes, uh, I, I had uh, thought of this, and I, I was going to answer it through a First Nations perspective, mainly because of the lack of electronic health records as such in the remote and isolated communities. I know Janet has access to the urban urban side of things, and that's a, that's more important to access um, electronic health records and with all the things that are happening in Canada. It's, it's more prominent in the urban area. But in, from our perspective in the nursing stations and the health centers in the rural and the isolated communities, they're still relying quite a bit on paper records because of the lack of infrastructure. So, and, and I know we'll be talking more about the challenges um, in our interview here, but the, that's, uh, about, that's the main issue that we do have. Otherwise, um, the discharge planning is important, like if we do have access to electronic health records, that will certainly make life uh, more um, uh, faster and effective for services. So that would be really good. So right. I'll just stop there. Mm. Mabel, we will be coming back to all of these things. Mm-hmm. So just to say thank you very much for that. Now, it is time for us to take the break. This is where I say we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Alley, and my guests are Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Horton. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Tune in for encouraging and motivational stories every week on Minding Your Business, Living Life Beyond Invisible Barriers. Your host, Dr. David A. Blender, brings together guests from all walks of life who not only have found personal and professional success, but who are committed to help you achieve success. Each week and with each story, we strive to change the world a little bit at a time. Minding Your Business, Living Life Beyond Invisible Barriers is broadcast live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. 
Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Hall. Our topic is electronic health records and Aboriginal peoples. So let's now talk about electronic health records and matters of privacy and autonomy. And by autonomy, I mean being able to make decisions for ourselves freely, both as individuals and as communities. So starting again with you, Janet, please, what are the challenges to privacy that electronic health records bring from the perspectives of physicians? And I'm going to add in um, Aboriginal First Nations communities. Sure. Thanks, Gordon. Um, Before I jump to that, I just want to highlight that last point that Mabel made before the break, too. Um, about how in many First Nations communities there isn't electronic health records. Um, and it's interesting because I work in both urban and rural environments. So um, I've spent some time recently doing a locum in a small mining town in northern Ontario that was off-reserve, and they had a great electronic medical record. So, again, it just speaks to this two-tiered healthcare system a lot of times that Aboriginal people in Canada experience. So all those benefits that could be so important particularly in rural and remote First Nations communities where there isn't good continuity all the time of healthcare providers. Um, those benefits in terms of a patient record and a master list of medications are not available. So um, I just wanted to highlight that. Now, in terms of privacy, and I'll, I'll just um, start it, and then I'm sure Mabel will be able to speak to it. Um, the main challenge is Um, From my perspective, as a Métis physician working with Aboriginal people, um, first of all, there's the same challenges for everybody else. So if that um, computer system is hooked up into the Internet, potentially anybody could get into those files. That's my understanding, not being an IT specialist. Um, But there's an added layer for First Nations communities and many Aboriginal communities in terms of this collective privacy Right, So there's a need, an ethical imperative for Aboriginal people to be involved in the management and control of their health information. So if the individual health record is grouped together with other records, say from a particular First Nations community, um, one of my concerns is if people from outside of that community start using that record. It could be very good to generate some information about health inequities in that community. Um, but what's important is that the leadership of that community, um, be it the chief and council or elders or knowledge keepers in that community, are involved um, in the governance and management of that data. Right. Mabel, it's the same question exactly, challenges Mm -hmm. to privacy. So just please follow on from what Janet was saying, but from the perspective of someone in your position, also, you know, your, your, your expertise, and also the places that you've worked and are currently working in. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, with the um, internet or lack of it, because uh, some communities do have uh, fiber access to fiber optic cable and, and all that stuff, but some rely on satellite from, in, especially in the remote north. But uh, I guess now with the um, for the challenges to privacy, like for the older generation, like you know our grandpas and grandmothers and stuff like that, and people, well, a bit older than me, but uh, at least they, now they have um, or some don't have an understanding of what the world. Wide web is, and they think everything can be shared all over the place. So they're quite leery about uh, privacy, especially in a clinic area. You know, to do with whatever, whatever um, issues they have. 
there and want to keep confidentiality. So that's a problem. But with our younger generation, you know, with a Facebook and a Twitter, they they're want lots of, um, lots of IT stuff. The, the faster, the better for them. But then we have to uh, educate them also, like for firewall and security, so they don't just download anything that they can just because there's a, a tower there that will um, conflict with uh, what the nursing station or the health centers are trying to do. And, yeah, lots of education and to explain the backup systems and all the, the vendors and all that sort of stuff. I'll stop right. there then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Janet, to come back to you, you've already mentioned this, but let's go a little bit further into it. When I term autonomy, not sure I'm using the word all that exactly, but it seems to me that what you're both also talking about is this question of being able to make decisions for yourselves about, first of all, who sees and who doesn't see the information of individuals or the community. But it also means... so. Uh, and this, I, I hope I'm right in understanding this. The question of autonomy is very important for First Nations peoples, um, whether they're living on reserve or elsewhere. Janet, tough question, but what do you think? Oh, sure. Um, this issue of autonomy or self-determination or self-governance, all of which would have um, specific meanings um, in specific contexts, um, but the idea that Indigenous people should have the right to... Um, determine um, themselves um, and what they will do extends, of course, to knowledge. Um, So there's a history where um, the right of Indigenous peoples worldwide, including First Nations people living on reserve, was taken away. So some of your listeners might not actually be aware that the original Indian Acts um, in the 1880s um, took away First Nations people's right to vote, restricted them to live on reserve, they had to talk to the Indian agent and actually um, authorize the removal of their children um, and um, outlawed um, our ceremonies. Um, so, of course, then people might be suspicious um, with good reason um, if there was something new coming in. Um, it depends a lot who's introducing it. So, if it's something that's getting imposed by um, you know, the federal government, then people might be very worried about it. Information systems have been used to hurt Indigenous people around the world before. Um, and then Mabel's spoken already about the need to capacity build this adaptation um, to new systems. So one thing that I always think about in Indigenous um, health and um, the interface between Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities is it's really important that people understand exactly what's being discussed. So if people have different languages, different knowledge systems, the same word could mean different things to different people. Um, And then finally, I had mentioned already um, then this idea, which is linked to this idea of self-determination or autonomy that um, First Nations people have um, an interest then in being involved um, in the governance and management of their health information. And it's always very important. So there's that individual level and within many First Nations contexts that I'm familiar with that individual rights and freedoms would be very much respected. But then there's also a very important collective layer um, where um, people would want to work together collectively um, to make sure that the best decisions were being made to help the whole community um, versus just serve a couple of individuals. 
Mabel, I'm going to ask you exactly the same question. That is, the most serious challenges you see arising with electronic health records, again with the word autonomy, or however you would wish to interpret that word that I keep mm-hmm. using. Yeah. yeah, for sure it's very important. That's probably the, the listeners know with the Assembly of First Nations and our profile as the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, we certainly try to promote or we do promote self-determination in in that respect with uh, electronic health records the uh, we talk about also about the ownership control access and possession of data the OCAP principles that we talk about and the researchers now are getting to be cognizant of that and um, they know for sure that we want to um, own our own data and all the rest of it. So that's important for us. The other important uh, factor is when all this electronic health data system gets going, we certainly have to do data sharing agreements and memorandum of understandings because that's part of our uh, e-health long-term strategy with the chiefs that uh, is being uh, looked at here in Manitoba. And plus one of our uh, long-term strategies is to have a center of excellence and even our own privacy commissioner. So I think all that will help with our own autonomy, and so we don't want to be lost with, you know, mainstream society. We need to have our own First Nations stats, and even now we have a regional health survey that's owned and operated by First Nations, and it's been proven really good, and Harvard University thought it was the best going. Yeah, so that's very important. Yes. Um, Now, just quickly, because we've got about two and a half minutes and I want to share it equally between you. Let me just put back to you my understanding of what you've been saying, and that is that there's an infrastructure problem in many places. That is, the information can't get there electronically because there isn't the way to deliver it. Um, The second thing is that there's this thing that you've both been talking about which is self-determination that is making your own decisions Uh, but it does seem to me and I want to ask you this as a short question that the kind of emancipation that the electronic health systems could bring you would take you forward to where you want to be as long as there's no risk or there's minimum risk and minimum abuse first of all Janet do you agree with that have I interpreted you reasonably correctly. Sure. I would just say that the infrastructure problem extends beyond the technology to, like, the current governance infrastructure um, within which or um, First Nations people find themselves um, living so that, you know, the people that have come to Canada have imposed a governance system so that Health information, it really will depend on who's in charge, which is why I think these principles of ownership, control, access, possession are so important. So it can be emancipating if First Nations people are in charge, but it could be oppressive if other people are in charge. Very clear. Mabel, what, same, it's the same question, serious challenges, but to go back to the idea of where, for example, in a, emancipation might work if you have control. Now, I do have to say it's only a few seconds, but we will come back to you mm-hmm. afterwards. But just give me a quick response to that. Have I understood you? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no going back, and we certainly want to look forward to having an effective and efficient system to do with electronic health records. So we need to be, uh, and we we have to access services in urban areas, which is important to have the uh, interoperability as well of of the systems, plus, of course, the importance of informed consent, which leads to the the self-determination and the self-governance as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to take us into the short break by saying to you this is a powerful discussion and I'm going to say it again and I think the rest of Canada has a great deal to learn from you in the way as communities you're approaching these things and what's a very interesting question uh, is sometimes the decision has to be taken individually but sometimes it has to be taken as a community and that's a very interesting management challenge in the electronic world now we will be coming back so it is time to take the short break this is dr gordon Atherley, and my guests are dr janet smiley and mabel horton you're listening to family caregivers unite on the voice america variety channel stay tuned we are coming back We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune into The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for an open, informative, and fun discussion on health, wellness, and a whole lot more? If so, you'll need to tune in to The Good Life with Forbes Riley and Charlie, featuring award-winning TV host Forbes Riley and multimedia producer, author, and CEO Charlie Fusco. Our show is real, honest, opinionated, and full of laughs. Our well-known guests of authors, experts, and celebrities will give you the inside scoop on health, fitness, and personal success. The Good Life with Forbes Riley and Charlie is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Horton. Our topic is electronic health records and Aboriginal peoples. Uh, Let's talk about the types of protections for privacy and autonomy that are provided or should be provided for electronic health records. In other words, I want to 
dig deeper now into the way we preserve privacy and autonomy when it needs to be preserved. So, Mabel, first with you. What are the protections that you've already implemented in the Manitoba First Nations system? Mm-hmm. As it uh, turns out, we do have a pilot project in Manitoba called Mistimuk, and it is a software system. It's a community electronic medical record system that the Cowichan tribes of BC have developed, and they own it and everything else. So we're, we're following that as our baby steps, and we're even expanding as we speak. But anyway, the, uh, they do have um, PIAs, the privacy impact assessments that they have to do, part of the, of the policy when you want to have electronic health records, and they do have policy and procedures manuals that everybody's trained to do, and then even with a change of staff, they get into training, and then for sure they have the oath of confidentiality and who the, they have to limit the number of users, and of course they have their own passwords and everything else. So people are learning, and they're pounding at the door to have this project, and it's really quite exciting. And it sounds to me as though you said exciting. People are really very keen on on getting Mm -hmm. involved in this. Mm -hmm. That's a very positive thing. Now, Janet, my question to you is, what about the protections that have been implemented or should be implemented for First Nations people living in off-reserve in big cities like Toronto? What are those protections? So the first thing I would say is that individuals would be protected by our Provincial Health Information Privacy Act um, so that anybody that's using electronic health information needs to be compliant with this um, provincial legislation. Um, so, um, and of course, um, that covers off um, confidentiality of um, health records in the clinical setting. Um, One thing that actually isn't on purpose is in Ontario, um, the system really is inadequate at identifying Aboriginal people living off reserve. Um, So we're basically invisible. So um, to me, that's actually a serious challenge because we know there's inequities in terms of health status determinants of health and healthcare access, but we can't really fix those if we don't have the information. Um, so there is um, on the health card in Ontario a question asked about if you're um, a status Indian or not, but nobody's ever done a study to find out who's asking that, and there was no kind of arrangement with the First Nations governing authorities here in Ontario. Manitoba does have an identifier for First Nations people on the health card, and they've also um, got agreements between the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs and um, the province um, so that um, Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs can be involved in cross-linkage for First Nations people with status living off reserve so they can be identified. And, of course, um, there's very thorough agreements that are protecting those First Nations individuals living off reserve um, who could be identified in the data set. So they have Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs um, looking out for them. I'll come back if there's a moment later on to one of the things you you said, but let me just first ask Mabel, please. Um, What are the improvements in protections and privacy and autonomy do you think that are still needed and why are they still needed? Mabel? The... um 
I mentioned earlier that we certainly need a ICT training and for the individuals and the communities, and we need lots of expertise out there for ICT, whether it's uh, maintenance or web portals or whatever. But I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, the other thing is the uh, because of the, um, the huge turnover of nursing in the north and other areas for First Nations, I, I think also as with doctors and stuff like that, but uh, we also have the um, because of the nursing shortage, and then of course the aging nurses that are out there, uh, we do have lots of agency nurses that come back and forth, and most of them are from companies that are outside Manitoba, so they're not familiar with some of what we have. Although they do have training through their own agency employer, but I think it's very important to uh, concentrate on those people that um, go back and forth. And, of course, right. the other thing is uh, with Facebook and all the rest of it, we certainly need security for the young ones to learn that. Right. Mm-hmm. Janet, back to you. Um, I'm going to ask you <clears throat> the question, similar question to the one I just asked Mabel, but I also have a supplementary to follow up on your earlier point. But let me not confuse the issue. Let me just ask you this. What are the improvements in protections for privacy and autonomy that you think is still needed for the Aboriginal people who are living off reserve in big places like Toronto? So I would say two things. One, and um, Mabel already spoke to this, um, is any kind of internet-based communication. Um, My understanding um, from my um, friends and colleagues in IT is anything that's connected to the internet would be at much higher risk. Um, so EMRs that are based on web portals would need to have um, protected servers and regular checks. Also, um, the College of Physicians and Surgeons doesn't um, support physicians using email at all for any kind of um, transfer of health information. Um, I noticed that some of my colleagues in other disciplines are, are still using that, um, so fax and phone messages. Um, it can be quite tempting to use email. but And then I liked what Mabel said about the young people in Facebook. The other thing is about the collective level roll-up of the data. So um, what I mean by that is putting individual medical records together um, to build a story. In this case, this would be the population story, the health of a group of Aboriginal people, be they um, off-reserve, um, First Nations, Inuit or Métis, or um, all of those. Um, people. Um, so I think what's needed there is the same kind of agreements um, that Mabel and I have been speaking about that do exist with the First Nations um, communities on reserve and some of the provincial governments. Um, it's interesting, um, one of the place I work at, Seventh Generation Midwives Toronto, I work as a network of physicians. It's called the Inner City Health Associates. So we've just switched to a online medical record, which could be very good, Um, but because it's an Aboriginal-focused midwifery practice that I'm working out of, I wanted to make sure we were um, addressing the collective issue of privacy, so we'll actually be working on an agreement between that seventh-generation midwives, Toronto, and the inner-city health associates. Right. I just want to ask Janice a question, and then I'll also move it, move it back to Mabel as well. 
There's a good deal of concern, as you both know, about um, the relations between the police on the one hand and people with various sorts of uh, challenges like mental health uh, challenges, uh, which uh, lead sometimes to tragic situations. Uh, let's use, that's not mince words, where people with mental illness are actually shot to death on the street. Um, so there's the question then of where does the information go into the justice system? Um, is there any way in which it could go and be beneficial rather than harmful or no use at all? So let me start, Janet, with that question to you about the inner city people, first of all. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what we see in the cities, though, um, in Aboriginal community is actually an emerging middle class. But, of course, um, there is um, extreme poverty for Aboriginal people. We recently looked at um, the city of Hamilton, and I think, unfortunately, 78% of the self-identified First Nations people were living on, under $20,000 a year. So the thing is, I think you just have to be clear in advance. You have to um, build partnerships with the um, community organizations that do exist in urban areas as well as on reserve to um, the leaders um, in the community. And, you know, you have to build relationships, and that can take time. And then you have to be really clear up front about who would be getting the information and why um, and work in partnership with Aboriginal policymakers um, to come up with policies and data sharing agreements that are going to be of net benefit in the community. Right. Mabel, over to you. What, what, what's your comment on this tricky issue? Well, uh, AMC actually has a, a police um, liaison person here at our office, plus with an RCMP uh, liaison. So it's very important for our leadership to have that, obviously, because they, they've been negotiating for that. And uh, for sure, yeah, the um, confidentiality of it all, and, uh, and I had mentioned interoperability, but that's with the clinical side. For justice, I don't know, it'll, it'll be a, a bit tricky, and it's not my expertise there, but we do talk about also with telehealth that the court system and the social worker system are using that medium. So I think that part of the, um, and it's, it's secure and, and um, quite usable, for, especially for the people having to come all the way up north or down from the north to the city. So that's in place. So quick summary back to you both. It's a question of using technology to produce the sort of safety and protections that are needed as well as supporting the distribution of information. So on that point, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to say whether you agree with me or not, but we will get back to it in the next uh, segment. So it's now time to take the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Ashley, and my guests are Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Horton. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listen to the women's side of the fitness industry on Fitness RX Radio. If you're looking to stay healthy and look great or are getting ready to compete athletically, this is the show for you. We'll look at competitions from the inside out, bring you fitness tips, nutrition to keep you on top of your game, and so much more. 
We want to hear from you, too. And we'll take your questions by phone or email. Tune in to Fitness RX Radio, airing every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Look and feel your best. You've got your family and you need to keep talking and you need to keep understanding and look into yourself, who you are, what kind of person you want to be. What would be the one most simple advice you would give to a healing agoraphobic? I don't know if it's a panic attack or whatever it is. It's happening very frequently. I don't have to be in any place where there's no air. It can happen even on the road. People get over things. You can't look back. You've got to look forward and learn something from your past. Join Dr. Raymond Hamden in the psychologist's chair every Tuesday at 9 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. I'm Dr. Janet Smiley and Mabel Horton. Our topic is electronic health records and Aboriginal peoples. Now, I would like to ask you a question that arises out of several of the things you've been, you've been talking about and explaining. I want to ask you what you both would like to see done to promote better protections for the people, your people, who entrust their personal health information to electronic health records. In other words, to get these benefits, which are obviously profoundly important, uh, we also have to have protections. So... I'm going to ask you a tricky question, but let's assuming that, assume that somebody turns to you, Mabel, and say, okay, what would you like to see us done? And the people that are turning to you are your own governments and the, the rest of the governments in Canada. So what would you like to see done, Mabel? Yeah, I don't think I can say this enough, but we certainly need lots of uh, continuing education, uh, in-service mediums. In fact, we're partnering with uh, St. Elizabeth, and they do lots of... Um, uh, something called uh, at your side colleagues, so lots of education in that area, be it um, nursing or technical stuff. So that's that's there, and we need more of that. And I mentioned we need our own privacy commissioner down the road with our e-health long-term strategy. And I think with partners uh, talking about that, I think that people will be more aware, and uh, First Nations will be more aware that we we do need something like that. And we might even need our own legislation and. Um, and also, the for sure, the people, Janet mentioned the Privacy Act, which is federal, but there's also the provincial legislation that is important to know and differentiate between those. And, of course, we need lots of resources, financial and otherwise, human resources to make things happen. And um, more training, I mentioned, for ICT with our, our young there so they, they can come home and help us. Right. Okay. Janet, same, same question. What? Um, so I would agree my first point, too, was um, what Mabel had already mentioned about more Indigenous people involved and trained. 
Um, so if there are any youth or adults that are in career transition out there, um, I had a young man um, finishing up his um, undergrad degree in health information systems um, give me an email and a young First Nations man, and yeah, right away I was taking him out for lunch, and so were several other people. So yeah. um, you would have a world of opportunity in the area of health information. Um, the other thing I want to emphasize, though, um, Gordon, you said at the end of segment three um, about IT, but there's also the relationships. So for myself as an Indigenous person, I very much in my kind of um, young understanding of um, like uh, creamy tea teachings and worldviews, um, it's all about relationships, um, relationships to other Indigenous people and relationships to the land. Um, so IT is a tool, but what we, um, how we use that tool and what the tool is set in is a web of relationships and interpersonal relationships. So um, there's a need to build those relationships over time and there's a need for partnerships um, from my perspective. Um, indigenous people need to be in charge, um, but yeah, there's more than enough work for everybody. One thing is if our systems become too disconnected from non-Indigenous systems, so for example, you know, um, there's the Regional Health Survey, um, there's now going to be an on-reserve Aboriginal people survey, there's going to be a big problem if we can't compare that survey data to the rest of Canadians. Because if we just have our own survey data, we won't ever be able to compare it and show if there are still existing inequities. So that two-tiered state of affairs that I talked about, that First Nations and other Indigenous people in Canada experience, where um, people on reserve more often than not don't have access to an electronic medical record, um, so they're more subject to errors in their prescriptions and lack of communication between healthcare providers. Um, the only way we're going to tell if that can be better is if we track how we do and are able to compare to the rest of Canada. Okay. Um, Mabel, over to you. I'm going to ask you for your message for physicians caring for First Nations people living on and off reserve. Now, what I mean by that is in Toronto, and uh, Janet will doubtless want to comment on this as well, um, it may not be a First Nations physician who's caring for a First Nations person. And so in asking you, Mabel, to speak to physicians, I'm asking you to talk to all manner of physicians who practice uh, providing health care to First Nations people, whether they're on or off reserve. So what, what, what is your message for those physicians? Yeah, uh, we are certainly getting our own uh, First Nation doctors, which is really wonderful. And uh, so the cultural, well, even in some of them, do have to um, relearn their culture and everything else and, and, and speak their language. But regardless, we do have people that come from overseas sometimes, especially in northern Manitoba. We get lots of um, people from South Africa and other nations. But anyway, I think the important thing is for them to have a, a really good orientation with their employer and beginning with the cultural stuff and the uh, the language barriers and the rest of that. And um, for sure to explain to the uh, people what the electronic health record is all about. In fact, to, ac to accept it, to use it, and then to support it and explain to their clients what it's all about, whether it's a, a grandmother or a grandfather, and just be patient with them and trying to make them understand what, how efficient the system can be. 
and to promote again, you know, some are reluctant to use telehealth at, at this point, but some specialists are really using it, and our stats are going way up for that medium. And also to, prom- to promote uh, televisits through the uh, telehealth is another thing. But uh, like I said, the important thing is about understanding our culture and the language and the barriers that you have to be patient in explaining things. Right. Janet, what's your message for First Nations people living on and off reserve in the kind of circumstances in which you're practicing medicine? Um, I guess that actually more of the time I'm interested in understanding what First Nations people living on and off reserve want to tell me um, because um, there's been a lot of things told um, to us as Indigenous people. So um, for myself, I'm a Métis person, um, mostly grew up in cities. So, um, yeah, for my First Nations um, brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles, um, I think my job is to still keep listening um, and then um, work with them to support them in their, their messaging. Um, we heard Mabel say that this is happening, right? Like we're in an information technology age. Um, electronic medical records are um, becoming the predominant form of healthcare record. Um, so I've heard people articulately like um, speak to the need for First Nations to be involved um, in electronic health and information technology. Um, I guess um, I'm always um, happy to um, be told what to do. Um, and I guess for the youth, um, I'm interested in what they think too. I see that they have a world of skills. Um, so I watch my own um, young children and older um, stepchildren interface very well with um, technology in a way um, that I will not achieve in my life. Um, So just um, to me, that's a bit of a hopeful message. I feel hopeful that our youth um, can look at this tool um, and work with um, perhaps people like myself that can be of use or not. and work with um, leaders and and cultural knowledge keepers in the community um, and really um, help support um, not only surviving but thriving um, Indigenous communities here in Canada, First Nations communities in the future. Got it. Great. Now, I want to say to both of you what I said before. What, what you're actually saying is that there's a great movement going on. It, you're aware of the challenges, but you're also aware of the benefits, and you're determined uh, to bring those benefits to bear for the challenges, geographic, distance, uh, history, all those kinds of things, so that health is done better for First Nations people, regardless of where they live. So, First of all, I just want to say thank you to our listeners. I want to say thank you to Janet and Mabel for sharing with us what you know, your experience, your insights, and your advice, because that's what you've given. And I I would want to say to you, with all the strength I can muster, every success to you in your work, because what you're doing is not only important, for your own peoples, but it's actually important for Canada as a whole, because as I've said before, I think we have a lot to learn in the way that you're approaching these things. So thank you both. Now in our next episode, we'll talk about hope for family caregivers caring for family members with schizophrenia. So listeners, please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. 
Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.